Shalom Mishpacha. Shalom, family. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word, and it means family. <laughs> We're the Mishpacha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people, where the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile, it's finally come down to form one new man. <laughs> Getting ready, Mishpacha, to blow the grandest shofar, oh, the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. What you're about to hear, I believe, is the most important teaching I have ever done. I believe that if you can comprehend and grasp, and I pray to God that I make it clear, if you can comprehend and grasp what I'm about ready to teach— it will dramatically change your life, your family's life, and even this nation's life. Why? Because this is what God calls the set time to favor Zion. Now, what do I mean by favor Zion? What I mean by favor Zion is the highest favor. There are many things that can be done for the Jewish people in the nation Israel. And all of them are correct before God from doing things such as humanitarian aid, uh, such as helping Jews make Aliyah return to Israel, such as having Bless Israel nights. And I am in favor of all of these things. But there is a higher purpose for our life in these days. And God says, he who wins souls is wise. So why at this set time to favor Zion, why should we be telling Jewish people that the Messiah has already come? He is the Jew, Jesus. You have to understand there is a particular call or anointing on physical Jews. It's found in John chapter 4, verse 22. Jesus says, salvation is of the Jews, meaning every Gentile that knows Jesus owes a debt of gratitude to some Jewish person, maybe back a number of generations. But someone, some Jewish person, someone somewhere was faithful to bring the gospel. And through that chain of people, you got saved. Why? Because salvation is of the Jews. Well, if salvation is of the Jews, what's the call of the Gentile believer? Glad you asked. Romans 11.11. 11. The call of the Gentile is to provoke the Jew to jealousy. It says, actually, in Romans 11, 11, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Or I like to just rearrange that and say, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. Now, can you see the spiritual DNA in a Jew is to reach the Gentile? The spiritual DNA in a Gentile is to reach the Jew, 
but we're coming into a season for the greatest move of God's Spirit in history. And the key to this great move of, of God in history is what I've been talking about at the beginning of every radio broadcast for years and years, the one new man. Now, you have to understand judgment. Judgment is a biblical term. There is the day of judgment coming, coming rapidly towards us. But what is the key to judgment on nations? And what is the key to judgment on people? Most people call themselves Christians, and they don't even know what this key is. I'll tell you what the key is. Your treatment of the Jew in Israel releases blessings or judgment on individuals, on cities, and on nations. Genesis 12.3 tells us the key. God says, I will bless those who bless you. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. Who's you? The Jewish people, Abraham's seed. I, God, will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All families on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham and his physical seed. Or the reverse is true. All families of the earth will be cursed through you. You see, God judges Israel himself. And you read the Old Testament and you find out that God has a point where judgment pours forth. He holds back more than anyone I've ever known. But there comes a point where judgment pours forth, and God judges Israel for her own sins. But God uses Israel to judge the nations for their sins. All that occurs is when a nation goes against the Jew or Israel, they face the judgment of God. Years ago, FEMA used to have a website that listed uh, the worst economic disasters to ever hit America. And here's the amazing thing. Nine of the ten worst economic disasters from things like hurricanes, etc., that ever hit the United States, nine out of ten, according to FEMA, occurred within hours of our administration going against Israel. Obadiah 1.15 in the New Living Translation says, the day, and that's talking about the day of the Lord or the day of the Lord's judgment, the day is near when I, the Lord, will judge all godless nations. As you have done to Israel, so it will be done to you. Could it be any clearer? I don't think it could be any clearer. Matthew 25, 40. Here's a New Testament reference for the same thing. Remember that chapter? Great chapter. Matthew 25 talks about a shepherd dividing goats from sheep, and it represents nations. 
There will be goat nations in the last days and sheep nations in the last days. And there was only one point separating a goat nation from a sheep nation. And that point is found in Matthew 25, 40. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. I looked up the word brethren in the Greek, and you know what it means? My brothers from the womb. Who were Jesus' brothers and sisters from the womb? The Jewish people. Now let me read it to you in context. And the king, that's king, Jesus, will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the one of the least of these, my physical brothers from the womb, you have done it to me. And Joel 3.2 says, I, God, will gather all nations, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. That same key for judgment found in Matthew 25, 40 is found in Joel 3, 2. The judgment is coming against Israel. Specifically, it says dividing up God's land, Israel. But the reverse is true. The blessings are there when you bless the Jewish people. The curses are there when you curse them, but the blessings are there when you bless the Jewish people. Major revivals throughout history are connected with what happens to the Jew in Israel. Here, let me tell you this. And these are the biggest, the biggest. In 1897, we had the first Zionist Congress. Uh, a Zionist is someone that believes the physical Jew is entitled to the physical land of Israel. So in 1897, Theodor Herzl called the first Zionist Congress. Uh, you know what happened shortly thereafter? Just the start of Azusa Street, the Pentecostal revival. 1948, you know what happened? Israel became a nation. You know what the spiritual repercussion of that was? The great healing revival. Men and women of God were suddenly raised up and tent meetings were happening all over the United States. People like Oral Roberts, T.L. Osborne, and hundreds of others just sprung up with great miracle ministries. 1967, you know what happened in 67? Jerusalem in Jewish possession. Well, you know what happened right after that? The charismatic revival. Now, would you like to know what the next move of God's Spirit is? There will be a repercussion from something monumental that will happen in Israel. It's going to cause a move of God's Spirit like the world has never seen. We'll get into that. And it's called the one new man. Isaiah 43, 19 talks about it. For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? Whoops. But I do see we're out of time. I'll, I'll continue teaching right here on tomorrow's broadcast. But we are making available the privilege of participating in Project 77 
When you send in $77 to us, we have a mailing list of Jewish households throughout North America, and we will send seven of my evangelistic books that was birthed in a dream in which God himself told me more Jewish people would come to know him through this book than anything I'd ever done. And we have distributed over one million We'll give you the seven names of the seven Jewish families that you're paying for a book to go to, this evangelistic book called They Thought for Themselves. We'll even send one one to you. And when you pray for them, watch the windows of heaven open up for you. $77. Call our 800 number right now and put your $77 to good use. He who wins souls is wise. Call our order-only line, one 800 On yesterday's broadcast, uh, I ended with Isaiah 43, 19. For I am about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? And the new It's the one new man, which I've been literally a voice in the wilderness uh, uh, shouting the one new man. (laughs) It kind of reminds me, I was involved, uh, I was a brand new Jewish believer in in, in, uh, one of the first Messianic Jewish congregations uh, in modern day history. And boy, we were persecuted for that. (laughs) And then uh, I've been talking for the last almost two decades, uh, on the one new man. And believe it or not, no, I won't go into it. I'm persecuted for that. It it seems as though God shows me something before it happens, and I get all the flack, and then the people that gave me the flack, they join in (laughs) once they see that it's God. But I can tell you exactly what Isaiah said. I'm about to do this new thing, and it's already begun do you not see it? It's found in John 17, 21. Now, you've heard this uh, uh, preached many different ways, but here's how I believe the Spirit of God is showing me. And it's Jesus's prayer that they also may be one. Who is they? There were only two people groups at that time, Jews and Gentiles. That's who they is. Some people say, oh, Baptists or Catholics. No, They didn't even exist. This was before Jesus died and rose from the dead. And they, Jew and Gentile, also may be one. And what's the repercussion when Jew and Gentile become one? Nothing short of that the world may believe. God is telling us somehow in the spirit realm, When Jew and Gentile become one in Jesus, the world is going to believe. It's going to release a glory. Well, the next verse explains it. John 17, 22, Jesus is saying to you, And the glory which you gave me, Father God, I have given them. In other words, the same glory that was available to Jesus is going to be on us when when Jew and Gentile 
become one in Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 15, and then the last verse, 22. It's talking about Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made both, again, who's both, Jew and Gentile, one and has broken down the middle wall of separation so as to create in himself one new man. And in the Greek, it really says one new humanity, but most translations say man, so I use that. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And of course, Paul was very Jewish, so assuming that he knew the Hebrew for peace, which of course he did. It's shalom. And the word shalom has many meanings, but here I believe it means completeness. So what happens when the two become one? It's complete. What is complete? That last verse now in Ephesians 2.22, in whom you are also being built together for I'm going to put the word complete in there. It isn't there. It was in the earlier verse, but it helps you understand it. In whom you also are being built together for a complete dwelling place of God in the Spirit. How would you like a complete dwelling place of God in the Spirit? I pray that they, Jew and Gentile, might be one. So the glory that was on Jesus will be on you so that the world will believe. Can you see why Paul got so excited? And I'm getting pretty excited right now, come to think of it. Same thing in Psalm 122.6. Only city in Scripture we're commanded to pray for. Did you know that? That's quite a profound statement. The only city in Scripture we're commanded to pray for is Jerusalem. This is the command. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And many people say, what does peace mean? Well, I believe it's that same Hebrew word, completeness. Pray for the completeness of Jerusalem. What's the completeness of Jerusalem? Nothing short of Jesus coming to rule and reign uh, the world. And the completeness of Jerusalem, so the world will believe, means Jewish people coming back into the Jewish olive tree. It's that simple. That's what you're doing when you're praying for the completeness of Jerusalem. And God, as if it's necessary, bribes us. He says, if you'll do that, may they prosper that love thee. That's what it says in Psalm 122.6. And the word prosper in the Hebrew means heart peace. May you have heart peace that evangelize the Jew so we can have true peace in Jerusalem. Wow, I could speak on that the whole time. But then it gets even better. How could it get better? Well, come with me on a little trip to Ezekiel 47, verse 9. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. Uh, Other Bibles put this in footnote. I like the Amplified because it spells it out. It's talking about the river. And this is amazing river, uh, the river of God. And it says, wherever the double river shall go. What's the double river? I already told you, Jew and Gentile. Wherever the double river shall go, 
every living creature shall live and everything shall live wherever the river goes. Well, Jesus defined that river under the new covenant. He said, we're going to have rivers of living water pouring out of our belly. That's that thing that's about ready to happen. And it's, I can feel it. it, it it's, we're going to see the greatest move of God's Spirit, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Romans 11.15 describes it. For if they're being cast away, who's there? The Jewish people. For if the Jewish people being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead. In other words, Paul is saying, when Jewish people come to the Lord, well, when they were cast away, the whole world was reconciled. I mean, if it was a blessing, the Jewish people rejected their Messiah, Paul says. How much greater blessing when they receive their Messiah? It's going to be life from the dead, resurrection power, creative miracles like the world has never seen, a release of miracles like the world has never seen. What? You say, Sid, what's the big deal with the miracles? I mean, um, uh, why do you make such a big deal about it? Well, you would make a big deal about it uh, if you saw that when miracles happen, people are open to the gospel, the spiritual scales are removed from the eyes of Jewish people, uh, people from other religions are totally wide open to the gospel. The purpose of the miracle is to demonstrate there is a living God who's concerned about every every hair on our head. I get excited, but these creative miracles, I can just see them happening. I can see someone uh, that, that was uh, recently came back from war and is missing both of their legs. And uh, in modern science, praise God, is doing wonderful things. And they're, they're even able to run an Olympic-type events uh, with artificial legs. But what if God gave us brand new legs? That's a sign and a wonder. That's the life from the dead resurrection power that's about ready to be released. But you have to understand the law of evangelism. The law of evangelism has started with God the Father. When God wanted to reach the world because God so loved the whole world, what did he do? He went to the Jew first, Abraham, right? Now, when Jesus wanted to reach the world, many people don't understand this, but Jesus himself said, I go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Was that just because he was only interested in Jewish people? No, he knew that when he planted a seed in a Jew, Genesis 12, 3 would come, come forth and there would be a great Gentile revival. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, what does he say in um, Romans 1.16? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God. Someone's hip was just healed in Jesus' name. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, then says to the Jew first. You see, when the pattern's right, the glory shows up. The pattern is God went to the Jew first to reach the world. Jesus went to the Jew first to reach the world. Paul went to the Jew first to reach the world. What you must understand is there's a spiritual law. It's called the law of evangelism. When you go to the Jew first, 
it opens up a greater door of revival among Gentiles than if you went to the Gentile first. And Amos, speaking of revival, have you ever read about the greatest revival to ever hit planet Earth? Amos 9, verse 11 to 13 tells us about it. Well, unfortunately, (laughs) I've got to stop right now, but I'll start right here on tomorrow's broadcast. You know what? Well, I'm talking to you. God's talking to me. And he's telling me that this project that's teaching that I'll be doing for the next few weeks or so is so important to his heart. Please listen and take heed to what the Spirit of God is saying, because this is the set time to favor Zion. Now, I said on yesterday's broadcast, that when you follow the law of evangelism that God followed, that Jesus followed, that Paul followed, it results in the greatest Gentile revival. And what is the law of evangelism? Reach out to the Jew first. Walk right into, in fact, bump right into Genesis 12:3, which God says, I, God, will bless those who bless the Jewish people. I, God, will curse those who curse them. So when you bless the Jewish person with the greatest blessing imaginable, salvation, your family gets saved, your loved ones get saved, multitudes, millions of Gentiles will get saved by investing the law of evangelism the way God did it, Jesus did it, and Paul did it from the Bible. But then Amos, the ninth chapter, verse 11 and 13, tell us that on that day, I, God, will raise up the tabernacle of David. What is the tabernacle of David? We know what that is. It's a place where David worshiped God from. But is there a hidden reading that if you were Jewish and understood Hebrew and lived back then, you would have understood? Yes, there is. The word tabernacle in the Hebrew means house or family. So what is God saying? On that day, I will raise up the family of David. Who's the family of David? The Jewish people. And then verse 13, behold, The days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. In other words, the harvest will be so great that next year you'll go for the harvest and you will not have been able to pick all the fruit, all the souls that are being saved. The churches will not be large enough for the harvest that's going to happen. When is it going to happen? when the tabernacle of David is restored. What is the tabernacle of David? The family of David. Who is the family of David? The Jewish people. So when you reach out to a Jewish person, you are speeding up the restoration of the tabernacle of David, which will spark the one new man, Jew and Gentile, one in Jesus, which will spark, be the catalyst for a revival like the world has never seen before. And if that's not enough for you, did you know that Jesus will not return until the Jewish people are saved? A lot of people misunderstand this, but it's real simple to me. Matthew 23, 39, Jesus speaking, for I say to you, 
you shall see me no more till you say, and he's speaking to the Jewish people, till the Jewish people say, Baruch HaBa Shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And some people, deceived people, say, yes, but the Jews are just like any other nation right now. They're not still called. Well, I, I, I refer you to the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, real clear, concerning the gospel, uh, they are enemies, the Jewish people, for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That's God's word. So don't you say, God is finished with the Jewish people because God says the gifts and calling of God. Why? For the sake of the fathers. Who are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We'll get into that in a little while. They're irrevocable. And then someone actually raised the objection last week with me. They said, well, wait a second. Paul himself stopped witnessing to the Jewish people. And he pulled out Acts 18, verse 6 through 8. And this is what he said. But when they, that's the Jewish people, opposed him, that's Paul. So when the Jewish people opposed Paul and blasphemed him, he shook his garments and said to the Jewish people, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. (laughs) You should keep reading. Next verse, uh, he's witness. He moves into a house next door to the synagogue. Next thing we know, the head of the synagogue gets saved, and there's a revival among the Jewish people in that city. And if that's not enough, that was Acts 18. Just go to the next chapter, Acts 19, verse 8. And Paul, that's he, went into the synagogue and <laughs> went into the synagogue when he says, from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. I guess maybe the Gentiles were all in the synagogue. No, they were Jews. For he went into the synagogue and he spoke boldly for three months. How's that for a revival? A three-month revival in the synagogue, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. So don't give me that excuse. Uh, What about this? Are Jewish people saved because they're under the old covenant? Well, I have to refer you to Acts 4, verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So there is, and what's the reason for that? If we were saved under the old covenant, we'd have to have the temple. We'd have to have the sacrificial system of animals because the book of Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 says, I've given the blood upon the altar as atonement for sin. It is the blood that makes atonement for sin. Well, God didn't want the blood of animals. Those were shadows pointing towards Jesus. But if you want to do it biblically under the Old Testament, you need a temple and you need animal sacrifices. But God didn't want that. He didn't want the animal sacrificed. He wanted a shadow of show us how horrific the penalty for sin was. 
and the sacrifice that the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world was going to make for us. So as much because I'm Jewish, as much as I would like to see all Jews saved under the old covenant, you have to, according to Leviticus, you have to have the sacrifice in the temple. There's not even a temple. So therefore, either Jesus is our Messiah or we Jewish people are separated from God forever. There is no other name given unto men in which we must be saved. So why is it that Jewish people don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, first of all, many Jewish people do. Uh, the Jewish historian Neander at the turn of the first century said there were a million Jewish believers in Jesus. I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus. I have many friends that are Jewish believers in Jesus. But yes, the majority do not. And I pray that this teaching will give you a supernatural impartation of what I call a Jewish heart. Uh, There's an old Hasidic story about a Talmudic student who goes to his rabbi and says, Oh, master, I love you. The rabbi responds with a question. Tell me, do you know what hurts me? The young man is bewildered. He's taken aback. Why do you ask me such a confusing question when I just told you that I love you? The rabbi shakes his head. Because, my friend, if you do not know what hurts me. How can you say you love me? We're going to find out what hurts my Jewish people. Everyone has heard the Jewish people are the chosen people. When you tell a Jewish person they're chosen, they'll say, I wish I wasn't so chosen. Uh, you, you, You ask a Gentile person, why are the Jewish people chosen? They don't have a clue. Well, let me tell you, why the Jewish person was chosen. Isaiah 43.10. God says, this is the call of a Jew. Oh, God, do we need this today? You are my witnesses. Do you know what the word Jew in Hebrew means? It's Yehudi, which means a praiser of God. So the Jewish people were selected to be witnesses and praisers of God Watch the worship that's going to come forth when Jewish people are saved. Watch the uh, prophetic that's going to come forth when Jewish people are saved. Watch the evangelism that's going to come forth when Jewish people are saved. Speaking of Jewish evangelism, Zechariah 8.23, that's Jews being true Jews. That's praisers of God. Zechariah 8.23 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men, that's ten Gentiles, from every language of the nation shall grasp the sleeve, that's the tzitzits, the fringes of the prayer shawl of a Jewish man, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now, I've got to stop right now, but I want you to get in on something that was birthed from a dream of God. I have had a dream many years ago from God, and I don't have that many dreams in which God himself comes to me. But in this dream, God himself came to me and said more Jewish people would come to know him from this book than anything I'd ever written. I quickly wrote the book they thought for themselves, 10 Jewish men and women from every walk of life, from a concert pianist, world-class 
to a Ph.D., uh, just to a New Age guru, to a Holocaust survivor, and each one thought for themselves and came to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. One million of these have been mailed to one million Jewish homes in North America so far. We're about ready to mail the second million. We need your help. It's called Project 77. Send us $77 right now, and we will send seven of these books to seven Jewish households. We'll send you their names so you can pray for their salvation and watch the blessings of God pour into you and your house. Call her right today and say, count me in on Project 77. Call our order-only line, one 800 447 2697. 1 800 447 2697. Now, many people ask, what great things did the Jewish people do that they are the chosen people? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8 give us the answer. The Lord did not, he's talking about the Jewish people. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. Uh, For the fact is, you're the least of all people. So he didn't choose us because we were a great multitude of people. This is why the Lord chose us. But because the Lord loves you. Do you know why he chose you? You know why he chose a Gentile believer? Because the Lord loves you. You've heard of the grace message. Thank God for the new covenant, a revelation of grace. But here's grace right here in the Old Testament. The only thing the Jewish people did was God loved them. Now, why did God love them? Because he would keep the oath, that's a key word, which he swore to your fathers. That's a key word. What's the oath? The oath has to do with the land of Israel and the Messiah, and the Jewish people. And who are the fathers? Obviously, the fathers are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, how long should we remember this Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, God said forever. Exodus 3.15 says, Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, The God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all. So God says he should be called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For how long? Forever. And why did God love the Jewish people? Because of the oath he made to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Because an oath is an oath. And I already pointed out to you, Romans says, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. I'm kind of glad God doesn't change his mind for, say, disobedience to the Jewish people. I mean, what if God were to change his mind for, say, disobedience by Christians? I like it that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. But about this time, some uh, misguided Gentile Christians say, boy, I'm jealous of the Jewish people. 
I wish I was Jewish. And as a matter of fact, many go to Messianic congregations and they become more Jewish than the Jewish believers in Jesus. The Jewish believers in Jesus say, enough is enough. I want to just be a Jesus. And the Gentile believers in Jesus, they, they just love everything Jewish. In fact, they want to even become uh, Jews. Oh, if you only knew. That's why God gave us a parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15. If you read it for yourself, I believe, and there's many ways of interpreting this, but this is what God is showing me. God is showing me that the father represents God the father in the story of the prodigal son. And the younger son, he represents the Jewish people that squandered their inheritance. And the older son represents the Gentile Christian that has worked in the harvest for years and now centuries and thousands of years. And the Gentile Christian son is getting very tired. And he doesn't like the fact that the father welcomes the good-for-nothing younger son back into the fold and loves him and gives him the fatted calf, even has a party for him, loud music, and the older son representing the Gentile Christian who's been working hard says, look, he's done nothing for 2,000 years. I've been working so hard, Father. You're making such a big deal over him. And I want you to remember what Father God said to him and is saying to you right now in Luke chapter 15, verse 31. And God said to his older son, representing the Gentile Christians, Son, you are always with me. I love that word, always. You are always with me. And all, A-L-L, all that I have is yours. How could you be jealous of your younger brother who was lost and I thought was dead and now has come back to life? Oh, let's rejoice, son, together. Because all that I have is yours. This is the Gentile Christian's finest hour. Not only does everything the Jewish believer have belong to him? All that I have is yours outside of the land. We'll get into that in a little while, the land of Israel. But the Gentile Christian's finest hour is right now. Why? Salvation has come to the Gentile to provoke the Jew to jealousy. Romans 11.11 this is why you were created. But we'll get into that in a little while. But you have to understand what hurts my Jewish people, what the devil is using to stop us from turning to Jesus. <laughs> it's not going to last long. You know why? The anointing is upon us and the anointing, the presence of the living God, the glory of God. The glory of God is going to be so strong, it's going to destroy all of these yokes. But you have to understand what many Jewish people understand and few Christians do. On The two words should never be used together, but I have to. Christian anti-Semitism. That means being against Jewish people. How could a Christian be against anyone? He'll know my disciples by their love. But then that's another story. 
Let me tell you some church fathers, some you've heard of, some you haven't. Eusebius alleged that Jews engaged in ceremonial killing of Christian children each year at Purim. St. Hilary of Poitiers said that the Jews were a perverse people forever accursed by God. St. John Chrysostom said that there could never be expiation for the Jews and that God had always hated them. He said it was incumbent upon all Christians to hate the Jews. They were assassins of Christ and worshipers of the devil. Chrysostom stated, the synagogue is worse than a brothel. It is the temple of demons. It's hard for me to even read these things. St. Cyril gave the Jews in his jurisdiction the choice of conversion, exile, or stoning. St. Augustine said the true image of the Jew was Judas Iscariot, forever guilty. Jews for their own good and the good of society must be relegated to the position of slaves. St. Augustine believed that because of their sin against the Messiah, the Jews rightly deserved death. The Crusaders herded the Jewish people in 1099 into the great synagogue in Jerusalem locked the doors with the Jews inside, set the synagogue ablaze, then marched around with the Jews being burned to death, singing, Christ, we adore thee. Martin Luther said, the Jews were ritual murderers and poisoners of wealth. He called for all synagogues to be destroyed. Even the Encyclopedia Judaica, I happen to have one in my office, comments on on Martin Luther, short of the Auschwitz oven and concentration camps, the whole Nazi Holocaust is pre-outlined here. Indeed, Adolf Hitler wrote in Mein Kampf, that was his autobiography, I believe that I am acting in accordance with the Almighty Creator by defending myself against the Jew. I am fighting for the work of the Lord. In my book, They Thought for Themselves, I interviewed a Holocaust survivor, Rose Price, and she saw hundreds of her extended family die just because they were Jews in the Holocaust. And above the gate of the concentration camp, when she walked in, this is what it said in German, we kill you because you killed our God, Jesus Christ. You know what Rose wanted to do when she got out of the concentration camp, one of the few that survived? She wanted to burn down churches. You try to share Jesus with Rose, but let the glory of God come on a Jewish person, and they shall see the truth, and the truth shall set them free. Rose Price became a believer in Jesus. Now, there's a brand new anti-Semitism. It's so important for you to understand it. It's pervasive all over the place now. I'll talk about it on tomorrow's broadcast On yesterday's broadcast, I talked about the unfortunate way that the devil got into some of the most outstanding Christians throughout history to become the worst enemy of Jewish people in history. Most Christians, most Christians that go to Bible college don't know what I taught on yesterday's broadcast. But there's a new form of anti-Semitism, and I want to make you aware of it. People will say, I'm not against the Jew. I'm just against Israel. I'm just against Zionism. 
Well, remember, the word Zionism means the Jewish people are promised the physical land of Israel unconditionally and forever by God. So (laughs) you're saying you're against God? Give me a break. So when they say, I'm not against the Jew, I'm just against Israel, I'm against those Zionists, uh, let's get some facts straight. First of all, who owns the land of Israel? According to Joel chapter 3, verse 2 of who owns the land of Israel, God says they have divided up, that's talking about in the last days, the people that are going to be judged the most ferocious by God will be divided because they've divided up my land. So who owns the land of Israel? God. So who is the first Zionist? God. Well, if God owns the land of Israel, where did the Jewish people come in? I'm glad you asked. You see, God, who owned the land, arranged a lease. You know how a lease works. He leased the land. So if you're a good Philadelphia attorney, you want to know the terms of the lease. It's found in the Bible. Psalm 105, 8 to 11 tells us about the terms of the lease in which God, who owned the land of Israel and owns the land of Israel, leased it to the Jewish people. And here are the terms. Three different descriptions of the length of the lease so that no one will be able to argue against it in a court of law. God says, I give the land of Israel, this is Psalm 105, verse 8 to 11, to the Jewish people by covenant for how long? Covenant's a pretty strong word, by the way, forever. And then he says, and I command, God commanding's pretty strong, that they have this lease for a thousand generations. For those that don't understand the word forever, he spells it out even better, a thousand generations. And if you didn't get it that way, in the same psalm, he says it a third way. He says to Israel as an everlasting covenant, I give the land of Canaan. So what are the terms of the lease? Forever, by covenant, a thousand generations, and everlasting. I rest my case. Now, as I said, Zionism believes the Jewish people were given the land of Israel by God, and the very first Zionist was God. Now, remember Martin Luther King Jr.? Well, we have a lot to be grateful for the things he accomplished in his life. But let me tell you something you don't know, because a friend wrote a letter to Martin Luther King Jr., and his letter, his letter said that he was against Zionism, just like what people are saying today. And Martin Luther King answered him, and I'm going to read a quote from the writings of Dr. Martin Luther King. You declare, my friend, that you do not hate the Jews. You're merely anti-Zionist. And I say, let the truth ring forth from the highest mountaintops. Let it echo through the valleys of God's green earth. When people criticize Zionism, they mean Jews. This is God's own truth. Anti-Semitism, or the hatred of the Jewish people, has been and remains a blot 
on the soul of mankind. So know also this anti-Zionist is inherently anti-Semitic and ever will be so. When people criticize Zionism, they mean Jews. Make no mistake. Well, Martin Luther King Jr. was blessed by God, used by God, why he understood the Jew in Israel. Now, here's another problem. The rabbis, I'm saying the Orthodox Jewish rabbis say you cannot be Jewish and believe in Jesus. And another problem, Christians say you cannot be Jewish and believe in Jesus. Well, I have to pose a question to Christians and Orthodox rabbis. If a Jewish person believes in the Jewish Messiah based on the Jewish prophecies in the Jewish Bible, how does that make them no longer Jewish? I mean, I don't get it. Give me a break. Let's visit this question from God's perspective. Jeremiah 31, verse 35 and 36 says, as lo- I'm going to paraphrase, as long as there's a sun and moon and stars, there'll be a physical Jew on the face of this earth. Have you checked lately? There's a sun and moon and stars, and there are physical Jews. Now, do you realize how great a prophecy that is? What happens when a group of people loses their temple, their means of getting right with God, their, their country? In 70 AD, Jer- Jerusalem was trampled by Cyrus and taken over from the Jewish people. And then the Jews were scattered to the four corners of the earth uh, with a prophecy saying wherever we would go, the country would eventually turn on us. You'd think that every Jew would have either married into another faith or assimilated or at least hid the fact they were Jewish if every generation they're persecuted and vomited out of their country. But yet... There are still physical Jews today. The greatest proof that the Bible is from God is there are physical Jews today. So the question that is begged is, how did God pull this off? How did God preserve us Jewish people? And here's what so few understand. Every Jew in the world, even a Jew that doesn't go to synagogue, which is most Jewish people today, even a Jew that doesn't go to synagogue on the high holidays, which is most Jewish people today, even a Jew that calls himself an agnostic or an atheist, which is most Jewish people today, even a Jew that says, I want nothing to do with the Jewish religion. If you go deep enough into them, you will find a spiritual DNA that says something like this. I was born a Jew and I will die a Jew because being Jewish is even a higher call. It's like an instinct higher than even the Jewish religion. So therefore, when the Christian says you can't be Jewish and believe in Jesus, 
And this instinct, it's like a homing pigeon's instinct. Somehow, a thousand miles, you take this bird a thousand miles away and it finds its way back to its home. You take a dog a thousand miles away and it finds its way back to the, its home. It's an instinct. You're going against an instinct that God put in the heart of every Jewish person so Jeremiah would be true as long as there's a sun and moon and stars. There'll be a physical Jew on the face of this earth. So don't forget this. A Jewish person wants to know the Jewish Messiah, wants to have intimacy with God, but has something in their innermost being that says, I was born a Jew and I'll die a Jew. So when you tell a Jewish person you too can believe in Jesus and stop being Jewish, you're going against God. Enough said. But said, wait a second, what about the New Testament? What about Galatians? Galatians 3, verse 28 and 29. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no male or female. Uh, if you're the Messiah, then you're Abraham's seed. That finishes it. Uh, no, it doesn't. It's talking about in the spirit. There's no Jew and Gentile. There's no male and female. Everything I have, the prodigal father son's father said to the older brother, everything I have is yours in the spirit. But in the flesh, there are males and females. In the flesh, there are Jews and Gentiles. And God is the potter, and we're the clay, and we don't tell the potter how to run things. He tells us. He shapes us. And his word says, as long as there's a sun and moon and stars, there'll be a physical Jew on the face of this earth. So spiritually, we're a new creation, but physically, we're in a physical world, if you haven't noticed lately. Have you sent in your $77 yet or called and just charged it on your credit card? Project 77, I believe, is for you. Yes, for you, not for someone else. Let me explain how this works. You send us $77, and we will mail out seven copies of this God-ordained book they thought for themselves. It has 10 testimonies of 10 Jewish people that have thought for themselves and come to the conclusion Jesus is the Messiah. We're going to send seven of these books to seven Jewish people. They will not know your name, but you will get their names to pray for their salvation, the blessings that are awaiting you to pray them into the kingdom. They're going to get this book. They're going to be prayed for, perhaps for the first time in their life, when at the set time to favor Zion, and you watch the blessings of Genesis 12:3 pour into you and your family. Genesis 12:3, God speaking, I, God, will bless those who bless the Jewish people. The greatest blessing you can give a Jewish person is salvation. We have this short window of openness to the gospel, and we've mailed a million so far. We're working on the second million right now. And I'm asking you to call our 800 number right now. We'll give it to you in a moment. And give us $77. We'll send you a copy of this book. And you're going to learn things that will solidify your faith. Shabbat broadcast. Shabbat shalom. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, 
Visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. To receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming Mishpucha or Chalitzim, write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. To place a credit card order, call anytime, 1-800-447-2697. For all other calls, the number is 704-943-6500. That's 704-943-6500. For a CD of this week's broadcast, send a donation to Sid Roth. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.